Hi, welcome to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. We're coming to you from Estia's Little Kitchen on the Bridgehampton Sag Harbor Turnpike. And uh, we're in, what would you say, Sag Harbor or Bridgehampton, Alex? I think it's, it, it skews more to Sag Harbor, uh, but um, it's a nice bike ride from either. <laughs> and uh, they are serving brunch. That's what you hear in the background. And they serve brunch uh, on the weekends. In fact, I think they serve lunch and dinner now every, um, not dinner, they serve lunch every day except Tuesdays, breakfast and lunch. But um, Eric and I had dinner here the other night. What'd you have? Well, <laughs> I'm go- How'd you know I was going to tell you? Because I have it written down. I wrote it down. Um, they have this, no really, they, they have this price fix. They have a price fix from 5.30 to 6.15. Is it price fix or pre-fee? You know what? It's really funny. Colin Ambrose, the owner, and I just had that. And I was like, can I say prefix or prefix say? It actually says price fix on the menu. It says price fix. It's on okay. the other side. Okay. But, um, but anyway, it's, um, it's only on Fridays and Saturdays right now. They add uh, Thursdays and Sundays, I think, at the beginning of May. But let me tell you what. I had a tort- Do you like, you like Mexican food, right? Me, me gusto. <laughs> God. Anyway, but... Uh, I had a tortilla soup and I had the rienos. I hope I'm saying that right. And they were amazing. Ch- they were adobo chicken rienos. And I've never had it like this. The chicken was stuffed into a pepper and it was baked. And I think it's something that Colin Ambrose, the chef, learned on one of his American Rivers tour. Have you seen the American Rivers tour? It's wonderful. He fishes and uh, in like America's great waterways. And then he... Um, cooks by the side of the uh, over over an open fire with the, whoever his guide is but uh, sometimes it's another chef sometimes it's a, a local celebrity or from the area but it doesn't mean that he cooks fish and he cooks this amazing this uh, that's what that was from and Eric had um, Eric loves fish you know he had the potato crusted flounder which is just as good as it was when Estes was in Amagansett it's still on the menu and a Valencia salad and it was delicious. Oh my gosh. This is the dessert that we had the other night. It is a Buñuelos. It's a choc- Mexican chocolate ice cream inside of a tortilla. Isn't that the most amazing? I'm going to take a picture and Insta it after the show. Anyway, our guest today is Liz Hook from Brass- Braxton Hook in Southampton. And we met Liz. Remember, we were taking a sexual harassment course at the training. radio station that ppb uh, asked all their employers employees to do right um, and uh, and we had to do it the independent as well it's it's really required and uh, we all kind of gathered into a room and liz spoke and uh alec and i were fascinated and that was back in january so it's been a while since we right i mean i think the real thing when, when we were sitting there was liz's um personal journey but also She's been on both sides of the argument. She's represented firms and also people who have felt uh, aggrieved. And and it's really like the, in the in the moment that we're living in in time, I think that there's a, a bit of a reckoning happening for uh, standard business practices that really shouldn't have been standard ever, but that are, are now being, uh, people are being more mindful and being reminded. And, and I just, I think it's be a great conversation because um, whether it's a, an office or a school or a place of worship or even your house, these are uh, these are conditioning things that I think we all need to be a little bit more uh, sensitive and aware of. Well, I'm really glad that you and I are such good friends because you are, um, and I don't mean this to sound negative, but I, it, it, for some reason it connotates negative. You're a sensitive man. You are really careful about what you say. You're very respectful, and I think that's probably why we've been really good friends for 40 years. You are you are a good 
um, well, thoughtful and yet I'm, human. And yet, and yet I'm, not, and I'm not trying to be funny, and yet I carry a lot of guilt about certain moments where I didn't do things the way I wish I had. Oh, um, hello. I mean, I know, don't we I'm all saying, do that? Right. So the bigger conversation isn't necessarily about a moment. It's about your, your growth and where you're headed and um, ultimately... Um, making sure that that everybody has a uh, to feel safe i guess I mean, well that's a really interesting point about feeling safe and and i think for myself i can say that i have probably after watching liz's really fascinating and provocative presentation in january i realized i mean i and i don't want to trigger anyone out there but i certainly have been you know sexually harassed in the workplace over and over and over again from the time i was 19 um, you know, whether it was being shoved up against a wall by a guy or, or you know, shoved between cars or being touched inappropriately. I mean, I, it, it's gone far. It's been bad. And, um, and that part I'm really aware of. But what I wasn't aware of is the gray area where I myself may have been the harasser in, unintentionally. In, yeah, unintentionally just in situations where I may have said something inappropriate without knowing that that might be a trigger for a person. So it's also, but you were talking just before we started that it's really about power. Oh, I think it's absolutely about power. I think that, um, you know, uh, in, in, in any job, let's just say any, any company, you know, somebody tends to own or run the the company. So there's a hierarchy and, um, people that, that become employed in the company, uh, you know, balance their own humanity with, with the requirements of the job and then with their own ambitions. I think in movie terms, think about Jack Lemmon's character in The Apartment. He was on the 17th floor. He wanted to get to the 18th floor. Right. And was willing to compromise his heart and love and another woman and everything in the course of that movie. Which, of course, was symbolic of rising up the right. ladder. I mean, so I, I would agree with that, but I disagree also. Oh, tell me. All right. Well, welcome, Liz. Um, well, you know what? We're, this is probably a good place to take um, for okay. us to take a break. But let's 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 start there when we come back from our interlude. Um you're listening to uh, Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. We're on WPPB, Peconic Public Broadcasting, Long Island's only NPR station. You can listen to us on 88.3 or online at 883wppb.org. And we'll be right back after this. You keep saying you've got something for me Something you call love but confess You've been a-messin' where you shouldn't have been a-messin' And now someone else is getting all your best These boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you and we're back Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow and we're coming to you from Estia's Little Kitchen on the Bridge Sag Turnpike where they're serving brunch today and they have the most amazing price fix menu uh, it's from 5.30 to 6.15 I think it's like $31 a person it's really reasonable and Eric and I came we're gonna come back we're always looking for a good you know we love to go to, to eat out here but we really like to go somewhere that's good and like a lot of times we can't afford it so it's really nice and Colin brought us the dessert that I had, which was the this Bunuelos. Eric had the Trace, Trace Leches cake, which is actually I love Bunuelo movies. 
<laughs> I knew you were gonna make. You know, I knew you were gonna make a movie reference out of that. But uh, let's let's bring our guest. All right. On. So, so welcome, Liz. Uh, Liz Hook um, from oh, Braxton Hook. And, as, as as we went to into, well, hi. First of all, <laughs> how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Very well, thank you. He's not very well. He's like well, eh. not very well. I'm I do know well. how you are. I heard. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a tightly askew, um, or slightly askew. So right right when we uh, went to the interlude, interlude, um, you were going to chime in on the point I was making. You were disagreeing with something. I wasn't disagreeing with your statement um, that it's really about power. Uh, so a lot of sexual harassment is about power and. And that's really, it's called quid pro quo, but it's where somebody who has power uses that power to coerce somebody without power into sexual activities. But I think half of it, and where the gray area comes in, is where it's a difference in sensitivity. So years ago, and you know, what you said about not realizing that you had been sexually that Bridget was being Bridget and I might have like offended somebody (laughs) there was inappropriate conduct going on in your workplace Um, you know I think years ago all of us and and in particular women just expected sort of bad behavior from men around us or you know sort of that oh you know I like a spunky girl that you know those kind of demeaning comments you know the leering that oh no sort of I mean thing. like hands down the blouse well I mean that I think everybody always knew was wrong right I mean that's that's simply an assault I think but you know I think the gray area where you know you make men or women the somebody on the basis of their sex feel uncomfortable that's something that people have not been sensitive to and you know when this whole me too movement started you know, I, um, I was having dinner with some friends of mine, and I said, well, you know, I think most men don't realize how, many, how much sexual harassment goes on and how many women have been sexually harassed. As I've been sexually harassed four or five times, and so I was with my friends, women, who said, well, I've never been sexually harassed. What happened to you? And so I described what happened to me, and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, that happened to me. But, you know, I just left that job and then I went to another job or I just... So they didn't really deal with it. Dealt, you know, I just avoided that person in the workplace. Well, so they were sexually harassed. They just didn't know it. So give me an example of what that gray area is, like where you're being sexually harassed. So like gray, You said, like, oh, you're a great girl to have around the, the office. Gray, the gray area generally is jokes. And, and, and that goes with right, well, sexual uh, harassment, it goes with... <laughs> you just, my, my eyes just open because cause, cause jokes and humor get more people into trouble. Yes, There's a, absolutely When, when I first started my career, there was an older comedy writer and he just, he had a phrase which was leave the, leave the jokes to the pros. The people who actually know what they're doing. Right. More people get into trouble thinking they're being funny, especially in the age of texting where so much is lost in like... Yeah. A text or an email or, or a right, post, you, you, you know? Emails in particular, because people seem to think that emails don't go away, you know, because they're not paper. But unlike paper, where you could destroy it, emails stay forever yeah. <laughs> in that environment. They're like somewhere. herpes, a thought. <laughs> oh, see, now that was a really inappropriate comment. I'm kidding. Herpes <laughs> is a medical condition. Yeah, it is. It's You're a medical condition. Bridget, did you feel uncomfortable by that I comment? D- no. <laughs> I didn't, but uh, but it is really interesting because even as um, well as managing editor of a newspaper, I try to encourage people. So I might say to 
a girl who's starting there, a young woman, I might say, hey, you know, you're doing a great job. I'm really proud of you. And I suppose that could be taken the wrong way. Am I coming off as motherly to say something like that? Is, is well, that, is so, that harassment of so a different harassment sort? has to be on this on the basis of somebody's sex or national origin or race. So you weren't saying that to her because of her sex. Right. You'd say that to a man equally who was that age, probably. Being right. motherly is not yes. is not well, being harassing. What is being harassing is, oh, how cute you look in that outfit. You really fill that outfit out well, you know. All right. And so now, you know, yeah, you, got that, face, you got that creepy way. factor yes. coming in. Yeah. And sexual harassment, a lot of times, is like pornography. You can't define it, but you know it when you see it. Which is right. also like humor, again. And I, I'm, not, I'm not making a joke there. It's, you're talking about everybody has their own comfort zone. Right. But the workplace is not dictated by personality, or shouldn't be. It should be dictated by principle. Anytime I've been hired for a job, I'm hired to do a very specific task. If but also, but you get to work a lot by, by yourself. I mean, have you had... And I make myself uncomfortable every day. <laughs> I know you do. That's why I love you, Alec. Oh, gosh. But, but have you been in, like, when you were, like, at the, you know... Um, Woo, woo, woo. What's his name? Uh, the Arsenio Show? Arsenio Show. You were like, weren't you part of like a stable of writers? You had to go in. You yeah, so, so, I mean, again, but uh, like in the entertainment industry, and it ha is changing, although not fast enough, in my opinion, most comedy writers, most uh, rooms that have uh, like shows that have writing staffs, the, the staffs are, are overwhelmingly male. Uh, in the case of late night comedy, overwhelmingly white male. Right. And there's a lot of downtime, and there's a lot of tension, and there's a lot of boredom, and there's a lot of stuff. So there's a lot of stuff being thrown at, and everybody's trying to push a envelope of what is funny. Right, of in course. Any one moment, trying to top each other. You too. know, it's a very dehumanizing uh, culture. I can remember, and again, like the Space Challenger happens, and people are telling jokes an hour afterwards because it's you almost like have Tourette's, and that's so. As it now maybe you know comes back to this conversation if you're a woman or if you're a person that is not in the majority of your uh, ethnicity or whatever in that room there's a lot of stuff to get, that's going to get talked about that is you know uh, our current uh, president would say it's locker room talk right. and yet that <laughs> if you think that your job relies on getting along with all these people that then then you get into that ethical gray area absolutely well now i'm gonna i'm gonna bring up something really um specific that that bothered me and and uh maybe you'll agree maybe you'll disagree but for example um the locker room talk we're talking about that that tape and you and i usually do not get political i'm gonna get a little bit political here that tape um which sounded you know to me really it wasn't just locker room talk to me but um it at the same time, we also had a senator from Minnesota who was shown, you know, looking at the camera, pretending to grab the breasts of a woman who was sleeping. And then another one of him with a famous editor, you know, goosing her and her looking at the camera. Funny. So that was comedy, but it had the more of a repercussion than the locker room talk by the president. What do you make of that, Liz? Well, I think all of them are... To, to be strictly, legally speaking, the, the locker room talk between Trump and Billy Bush, Bush, yeah. Billy Bush was not harassment because it was between the two of them and it was about somebody who wasn't present, so she was not being harassed. Um, that's just 
demeaning behavior towards women, right, and it right. shows misogyny. And, and I me. and I would add, just for, at least the way I absorbed it, it was so pathetic that he wanted to impress Billy Bush that much that he was going to those places. Exactly, exactly. I don't, think, I don't think that there would be a legal case of harassment because she, unless the woman became aware of it afterwards, and this was, you know, a constant part of her environment, um, then that could be part of a harassment, sexual harassment case. But the others um, were clearly making jokes at the expense of a woman based on her sex. Right. Is harassment. It's classic harassment. Right. So I think that the others were, um, from a legal standpoint, right, from a legal they may standpoint. have been harassment. Now, to prosecute a case, it's got to be severe and pervasive, so, or pervasive. So severe meaning a very bad a rape, a, a sexual assault. Or a lot of jokes every day, right, every constant. It's wearing your, you down. It's wearing you down, exactly. So those isolated incidents wouldn't be legally you know, um, prosecutable, so to speak. Right. And that's such a bad word for a lawyer to say. Um, <laughs> right, right. But, I'm, I'm over the, here editing you in my head. It's okay. <laughs> there would not be. Oh, yeah, right. I'm with an editor. That's a bad thing. i got to <laughs> no, be careful prosecutable. about my words. No, it's going to be a thing. It's going to be big. Prosecutable. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, um, we do like to make up words, yeah. um, but it, it, it wouldn't be subject to prosecution, but, 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 but it's but still also, poor. Right, but, but more than just somebody's sensitivity, it's also the idea that your career may hang in the balance if you do not go partake. along or partake. You will be punished. I mean, cut through all of the um, opinions, in a way, it's, it comes down to money, right? Because right. if, if I have... I'm gonna. It's be harder for me to make money if I don't do this, and I shouldn't have to do this to make right. that money. Right. And so you, you talked about the power. That's Weinstein. That's um, Matt Lauer. Those are classic what we call quid pro quo. If you don't yeah. do this, I am not. I'm. I'm going to hinder your career. But but the other part of it is, you know, women in the past. The reason that a lot of them thought they weren't being sexually harassed is that they felt like they had to put up with this and blend in in order to get ahead. So it's not that somebody said to them, you must do this. It's that in order to fit into that work environment and get somebody to sponsor you to get promoted, you didn't want to make waves. And so, you know, for me, the classic, um, I represented a number of Wall Street firms. Wall Street investment bankers, yeah. you know, um, the trading floor. The trading floor is famous for the kind of bad behavior that goes on, the cursing, the bad language, the jokes that are the, no, very de sexual. Dehumanizing. Dehumanizing. And it was, for the most part, men until women started coming into the workforce. So the very first women who started coming in and becoming traders they were already considered just girls and, oh. you know, poo-poo. So in order to, for them to get ahead, they had to swallow whatever um, abuse was coming their way, no matter how uncomfortable they felt about it, in order to try and get right. ahead. And, right. and again, I'm, in movie terms, it's one of the reasons I love working girls. It felt like it was touching on that in, in a nice fairy tale. Right, right. Well, also um, Bridget Jones's Diary is a bit yeah. of that, and um, yeah, there's so many films where it kind of makes it okay 
to fall in love with your boss or something like that. So in a way, I mean, the, right? But but you know what? The, the hidden DNA here, and this is like, it's not that it's a verboten, but like, is likability is so important in life, right? right? And likability, being right, we liked, we all want to be liked. Not only want to be liked, but but we all benefit from being liked, and right. and you know, and yet ethics and morality and people's opinions change by likability. You know, the, the example I always go, and this isn't a movie thing, it's a sports thing, is you look at the steroid era in baseball, and you look at the baseball players who are likable versus the baseball players that weren't, and the ones that weren't were punished a lot more in the public eye. You know, they right. did the same thing. Right. But it's like, oh, no, you know, we love Andy Pettit, but Barry Bonds, you know? And it's like, <laughs> well, they were both doing the same thing, right. you know? Um, right. And so to me, likability is huge. So in the workplace, who doesn't want their boss to like them? Who doesn't want to be felt like they're part of a collective? Um, I think that's probably a good spot for us to take another break. You're listening to Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolov. On Sundays on the East End here on WPPB, Peconic Public Broadcasting, Long Island's only NPR station. You can also hear us online at 883wppb.org or if you miss the show you can listen to it later on my website www.bridgetleroy.com we're talking with attorney Liz Hook about sexual harassment in the workplace and other places and we'll be right back from Estia's Little Kitchen here in Sag Harbor You can't touch this can't touch this. You can't touch this. Break it down. So we're back. Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. Sundays on the East End here on WPPB. We're coming to you from Estia's Little Kitchen on the Bridge Sag Turnpike, where the coffee is always hot, the conversation's cool, the food is delicious, and they're serving breakfast and lunch Six days a week, not on Tuesday, which is when it turns into the shed, which is a woman-only workspace, which I also come to. And having dinner now, Fridays and Saturdays, and they also have a price fix from like 5.30 to 6.15, I think, and it's really, really delicious. So I highly recommend coming. Colin's such a well-respected chef out here. And I love Estia. Can I say it anymore? Can I get an amen, Alex Sokolo? Amen. Oh, yeah. Say it like you mean it. Anyway, we're um, talking to uh, We to are Liz talking Hook. to uh, Liz Hook. And, and you know what? I, I want to, like, switch gears just a little bit and just talk about your own personal journey. Like, how did you get uh, – how did, in your legal career – did you find yourself at the forefront of workplace um, harassment issues? Um, well, <clears throat> I went to law school 12 years after I graduated from college. I was not a particularly good student when I was in school because I was in school during the late 60s, early 70s. and Ooh, Having a um, lot of fun? Sort of. Well, uh, having fun, but protesting a lot. Oh, you know, too. So okay. protesting the war, you know, women's movement, all of that. Um, so I worked as an editor, but a trade magazine editor for 12 years. And uh, when I decided to go to law school, I thought, you know, it's a second career. I should do something that's good for humanity. So I chose environmental law. Uh, and then I found out that to, uh, to do the right thing in environmental law, and that's to sue all the polluters, you basically have to get, um, you have to starve to death because it doesn't pay well <laughs> because all of the money is on the defense side. So I uh, was working for a large Wall Street law firm and um, we got a couple of employment lawyers who came into the firm and I worked on one case with them and I thought, 
Now this really makes a difference. This is something that's immediate. It, it absolutely makes a difference in the workplace. Um, I was a little bit concerned about um, having been the, the liberal uh, rebel in, in my youth, working now for the man defending um, for cases. the men, right. Exactly, the men. And I thought maybe I was selling out. But what I found out was at that point, you know, people who had really been sexually harassed um, didn't, ver they, they, they worried about their career. They worried about suing the employer, would blackball them, and would not, you know, would, would crush their career. So people just who were really sexually harassed usually just moved on to another job or, well, I mean, you know, grinned and, and bared it. And of course, I mean, going back to the movie industry, I mean, we hear that story again and again. I mean, we go back to the casting couch from the 30s and 40s and people, they but, were but able that, but that's, to switch. But that's, with, that's with the people in front of the camera, behind the camera and in all of the offices and all the studios and all of that. It's, it's as, if not more prevalent, it just doesn't get... The uh, same publicity as yeah. uh, right, the same right. airtime. And, and what, what actually bothered me was that the cases that I was defending were for the most part people who were looking for a lottery ticket that, you know, out of the 28 years that I have been practicing employment law, you know, on the defense side, there really were a handful of cases that I thought that had any merit. The rest of them were, you know, they, they didn't care about their career. They were looking to, to hit the jackpot, you know, and, and that bothered me because they were clogging the courts with meritless cases, bringing down um, the entire concept of sexual harassment. Exactly. Making people think that sexual harassment was really just, you know, sort of a, a, a way to, you know, to get money out of companies and it really didn't exist. Right. Um, so, all right. So I have a question then. Like, not that you have to pick one or the other, but, but in a way, what's more problematic to the overall good? The false accuser who then harms the system and, and, and maybe takes away the platform of people who really need to have a voice or their perpetrator who isn't corralled oh no that's, that's really sophie's choice oh that is sophie's choice i can't make a choice between those two because i think they're equally harmful i think that the the, the bad cases the false cases take up the space create a bad reputation and and then the harassers i think need to be prosecuted but i think that happens in a lot of uh, all all court cases because I know that that happens a lot for example in in custody cases where the where people are accusing the spouse of, of you know of abusing the child and I have a, a friend who actually basically I hate to put it this way he defends people who are accused of being pedophiles but he said 94% of those cases are are marriages where the they're just hurling accusations it clogs up the court like the witch trials yeah. you know yeah. and right. and that's what it's about so right. that must be that must be very hard for you oh, but but you made the you made the shift though in in, the, in your career you were you were on the defense side and then you went and became an advocate for yes yeah, so i um when i i left uh, i worked in house at a large financial institution and when i left there I went into practice with Meredith Braxton of Braxton Hook, um, and you know there's two of us, and and you know for the most part, I represent both defendants and you know both companies and plaintiffs, now employees. But it's the you know for the most part, I represent employees because most companies are not going to hire a small firm like ours. That's what I was going to say. Now you were in Connecticut, and now you're are you located in Southampton? We're both in you're Connecticut in both. and Southampton. We have an office in both. And um, which, so which state is worse? 
Both of them. I'm admitted now in Connecticut. So. And is it harassment or harassment? You know, I I say harassment. You Good. say Me tomato. I you know. No, I don't say tomato. I say harassment. <laughs> I think British people say harassment more. Where I've heard it is more Brits. Um, I think the Americanization well, is harassment. Just, at the Independent, we just had to watch the the video, and it was. Harassment, and that's all we could talk about the next day because we're all editors and writers. We all right. want to say harassment, right. but anyway, that's a very small portion of a much more uh, important topic. So, becoming an advocate and then choosing to be in a, a fairly small town—how does that? I mean, you're you're defending the little guy, really, literally. Well, I'm, I'm at a stage in my career in my life where I can't afford to, you know, I don't have a child to put through school anymore. I don't have to make a living. I'm not building my career now. I can actually do, you know, good for, give back to society, which is what my intent was back in my 30s when I went to law school. And um, and you know, I I told my partner I I might have difficulty making the switch from defense to plaintiff. And as a matter of fact, we had a court conference with a judge in one of our cases, and she said, and who's appearing for the plaintiff? And I said nothing, because I <laughs> forgot I was the plaintiff. <laughs> you took the fifth. I, <laughs> my partner had to kind of nudge me and say, oh, yes, here, that's I'm me. Here. That's right, I'm here. <laughs> but, um, but I thought, you know, because I had seen so many false plaintiffs, I thought, you know, I can't handle this. But the truth is that for for all of the plaintiffs who come into my office or come and talk to us, the ones who don't have a case, I will tell them right away, and I won't take the case, and I don't need to. But you know, the ones who do have a case, I feel so strongly about making sure that because I know what the other side is doing. Of course. Um, but you know what I wanted to ask you: the way we met you was in a class right. on sexual harassment. Do you do a lot of those around here? Is that because you kind of like got your act together and took it on the road? Right, right. Well, sexual harassment training is something that companies have been doing for a long time. So I have done that for a very long time. But um, as as New York State, you know, I like to uh, think that New York State is really the lawyer's employment um, promotion state. Right. They passed a law requiring that all companies um, all employers of even one employee um, have to provide sexual harassment training every year. And so now um, we do have this package of training and it's available and, and I am going to be marketing it to employers. The thing about employers, uh, you know, so large corporations, they have in-house counsel, they have right. HR people, small companies don't. And they don't really understand what can get them into trouble. They don't know what they don't know. Right. And they right. Can, are. Can the, you extrapolate on that a little bit? Well, so a small employer will not necessarily, because they don't have a human resources person who can educate them to it and they don't have an employment lawyer, if they see uh, behavior in the workplace among co employees that is potentially going to subject them to liability. Right. Knowledge, knowledge of an indiscretion is still potentially liability for the for the employer. employer. So right. the employer's standard is new or should have known. So if the employer sees bad behavior and does nothing, then they're liable for doing nothing. Right. Um, and if somebody reports it to them and they do nothing about it, they're liable for not doing anything about it. I don't think that a lot of employers, small employers, really understand that obligation that they have. 
and you know there there it it the training is something that everybody is really miserable about because it puts this burden on small employers but i think in the long run it's going to help them help them educate themselves and their workforce so that as we said before it's all about awareness you know in the right. past we weren't aware um, that these jokes were offensive well, i think you i know, want to talk about tipping the scale the other way when we come back how how pc is too pc if there is such a thing uh, that might be something we can touch on and just about living out here on the east end and yeah all okay. of that. So you're listening to Bridget Leroy. Alex Sakalou. Here on Sundays on the East End, coming into you from Estia's Little Kitchen on this Bridge Sag Turnpike. And we're here with our brilliant producer, Kyle Lynch. We'll be right back on WPPB after this. Young girl, get out of my mind. back. You're listening to us on WPPB 88.3 FM, Long Island's only NPR station. We're coming to you from Estia's Little Kitchen. And um, we're talking with, uh, Alec and, and I are talking with Liz Hook from Braxton Hook in Southampton about sexual harassment or harassment. And uh, we were just talking during the break about, you know, what what's okay, I guess, is really what, instead of what's to be seen, like what's okay. I mean, if a female employee comes in, and she looks really pretty, and I can tell that she's got a new outfit, or she's maybe going somewhere after work. I could say, "Hey, you look really gorgeous today. Like, what's up?" Um, and then Alec made a really interesting point. I was like, "Is that I can't say that? We all—I mean, we all compliment each other. We do have a lot of women in the workplace, and we often say that looks really nice on you, or wow, you know, I love how you did your hair today." And you—you you made a good point, Sal. No, I was saying that that if, if at least in my definition, if it went to the next place which is i'd like you to dress like that every day or maybe more of this and less of that then you're objectifying somebody and you're basically saying i'm judging you by your appearance i'm judging you by what you're giving to me not by your the meritocracy of the work which is different than just noticing someone's taken a little extra time to look extra nice today right right and and i think alex is alec is exactly right we had a case, I had a case when I was in-house counsel where a woman brought a sexual harassment complaint because her manager on four occasions told her that her hair looked nice, the dress she was wearing was pretty, uh, and she looks like she's been working out. Now, that last comment could be whatever, but over the course of two years, those three comments, it's not sexual harassment that's pervasive. It's not even sexual harassment. It's and, and that's that a very loaded like I even in any place, if you say you look like you've been working out, yes. can can go to a, a different Objective place in my that, head. That that I said is a questionable yeah. comment. That could go either way, but if that was the only comment Unless it was like Arnold Schwarzenegger, in which case, like, <laughs> you look or like you've been working out. Yeah. Unless you're working in a gym. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> gym, right. But, but the other thing is, is that, you know, under the law, a, you know, a person who is feeling harassed has got to report it to the employer and give the employer an opportunity to correct that behavior. So, you know, if, if you don't, if, if when you're making the comment to somebody, 
if you're saying it in a motherly fashion, that's not sexual in nature. You're not giving that vibe. It's not coming back. But you know, if there's a difference between saying, you know, that dress is really pretty or wow. that dress is really pretty. Or that dress is really, <laughs> comma, pretty. <laughs> okay, well, Liz, you sounded creepy and Alec, you sounded like a bitch. So. <laughs> mean girl, mean girl, you can't sit with us. All right, so, so here's, here's a I, question popping into my head is um, in your uh, travels, do you think there's a root cause of this? You, or, or is this like just part of human nature? Is, is this it like, is it the, of the power of? I think part of the problem is that uh, women have not been in all the echelons of different workplaces um, to the extent that they are today. And so there's such a large part of the workforce that men over the years have not you know, they've been used to making comments among themselves and now they have women in the workforce and so they have to moderate their behavior. There's um, been a lack of sensitivity to it. I think now we have that sensitivity. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's a matter of, you know, people make jokes and they don't even think about it. And when you were talking about sometimes you might have been harassing. So I, I'm a laborer and employment lawyer and I can't tell you how many times I talked about how old I was well oh, oh my god I shouldn't say that I shouldn't talk about age or you know I'm a hugger and a kisser you know and yeah, so if somebody is a close friend of mine I'll come in and hug them oh my god I shouldn't do that in the workplace right so we want we don't want to worry too much about no. being who we are if it's if it's truly our light shining through and it's not but we have to, <laughs> what we have to do is raise our awareness to who we're doing that with and seeing their response. Right. So if the response is a stiffening, then you don't do that. If this is, I, I, I remember advising one of my clients uh, when I was on the defense side, um, you have no friends at work. Just remember what? that you have no friends at work. Because... What have you worked on the show Friends? <laughs> <laughs> well... If you're acting versus just being an okay. actor. Yeah, no, I agree. No, I, yeah, if you, what, what do they say in Washington? If you want a friend, get a dog. Right. right? You should not treat people as if they're your best friends unless, like the two of you, have a long history together and you are. We, we can't stand each other, actually. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, but you know, you, you, what you have to do is be more attuned to how people are receiving your comments. Right. and. And, and be aware of that. Okay. And, and now, if somebody feels like they're being harassed, mm -hmm. do you have any, uh, not just advice, but like what, what should they be doing? Well, the very first thing, and, and this is the reason that I love the Me Too movement. You know, we have been silent for too long. I mean, those four times that I, four or five times that I was sexually harassed, and a couple of them were as bad as the ones that you described. I, I kept my mouth shut and didn't tell anybody. Can I tell you something that one of the reasons I kept my mouth shut is because I was I was heavy, I was I was overweight, and um, I was I considered myself to be very very unattractive. So I kind of thought maybe they made a mistake, or like maybe like I just like no one would believe me. Yeah. There were prettier girls at work than me. No one would believe me that he grabbed my breasts because I was so unattractive. Yeah. And maybe that's why I was targeted. I don't know. Well, who knows? But but then you're also dealing with issues of self-perception, issues of shame, issues yeah. of all of these other things right. that everybody carries with them. Um, but I think that's I, a lot of why women sometimes right. don't speak and, up. Because, well, and, why would he do it to me? She's like, 
prettier well, than I am. And, what, and, you know? and the other side of that is, uh, you know, did I do something to lead them exactly, on? Exactly. That's the other thing. Right. What did I do? And, and that's what I thought. Did and, I do something I, to lead them on? Again, I'm making a huge leap here, but I think that our creation myths in Western Hemisphere, Western culture are so male dominated that from the from birth to the grave, there's a narrative that gets taught everybody and everybody plays a role based on that narrative that somehow women weren't part of the creation of of the the creature that we all are right right we, right. we create everything actually <laughs> well, right? it's a it's a, it's a it's a partnership <laughs> yeah partnership during birth <laughs> you, you you tell you tell the woman to breathe Bur and birth and she pushes out a baby <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we get a little off topic sometimes. Um, anyway, so what, as Alex said, what can someone do? Well, so I think that the very first thing is you have to report it. Because if you don't report it, A, you can't stop it. You don't give the employer the opportunity to correct the problem. And then B... If, but, who, but who are you reporting it to? So you report it to... If your boss um, is the perpetrator. Then you report it to another manager. So you don't have to report it to your boss. Okay. Because nine out of ten times it is your boss. Yeah. So you can report it to HR, to anyone who is in management. Okay. Um, and if you, if you do report it, then there is a chance that it could be corrected. But if you report it and you do nothing, then you do have a lawsuit. And, and I think the Me Too movement has made it possible for women to feel more empowered to report it because it's not a stigma anymore. You know, I think, I think that we need to as women in particular. And, and, you know, and I feel bad saying that women have been the victims because the sexual harassment goes too. both ways. Of course. And it's, you know, it's same-sex sexual harassment. It's heterosexual. It's, it's all of it. Right, so everybody. victims have not felt empowered until now, and I think that we need to encourage that more. Now, um, is there like an auxiliary victim situation? Like for example, if you are sitting in an office and you're hearing two people who are giving and getting inappropriate humor, inappropriate jokes, like, hey, sailor, how you doing? You know, that kind of thing. And it makes you feel uncomfortable. Do you have the possibility of Yes, if a it's on the basis of sex, if, if what you I mean, again, they're not talking to you. They're talking to each other, but, but it makes you but feel uncomfortable. But that's okay, because they are... So it's, it would be the same thing as... There have been many cases where somebody is looking at pornography on their computer in an open room where other people that are seems, that there. That seems like so prevalent. Yes. That seems so prevalent. Like that concept with a number of screens, a number of phones, and the amount of pornography online, how does, how does that not happen at a workplace? Right, well. I'm not, I, I'm not, it's not a rhetorical question, but like it's, yeah. it, it seems so prevalent. Uh, because those people should be fired as soon as they, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. as soon as they call but, up but pornography. But you know what, when, when, we, when we did the class with you, you also talked about, but it also, is, it's, it's not even just in the workplace. If you're at bowling night, if you're out at a dinner, if you're anything that, that is around that's people right, that you that's work right. with. Office yeah. parties. So the office party is probably the one biggest danger that companies have. Liquor and office parties <laughs> do not mix. A very dangerous combination. Mix. And and most people don't realize that if you have an office party and you're expected to go, that's a workplace. And if you are subjected to harassment because somebody's had too much to drink and they are not using good judgment, that's still harassment. But that's not the same as someone asking you out on a date. I remember you making that differentiation when we had the class for WPPB. Right. There's so, two kinds. There's, right. there's the sexual harassment making you feel uncomfortable because of your sex. Um, and then there's the attraction. pro quo right. oh. where you want something, um, then you, you know, 
you put up with what I do or you have sex with me. And, you know, that actually was a later cause of action that wasn't in the original law. And that came about in the 70s, you know, because there was, it, it's a famous case called Meritor, where a woman worked for a bank manager and he told her that he would only promote her if she had sex with him. Well, that's and straight up. I mean, sexual harassment. <laughs> you, you can't, can't get, get more clear right, than that. Right, that one's totally clear. But if, say, someone, um, say a woman, let's put turn the tables, a woman thinks a guy is attractive and is self-confident enough to say, hey, you know, I know we work together, but would you like to have a cup of coffee with me sometime? And he doesn't want to, but he says, well, you know, I'm, I'm busy right now. Well, why don't you ask me in a couple of weeks? And so a couple of weeks later, she says, oh, you know, would you like to get a drink with me? Is that, har is that harassment? Well, it depends on when it crosses the line into stalking. So if oh, you've right. asked a person once, twice, three times, and they say no, you keep going after that, then that's sexual harassment. Okay, That's gotcha. what you, you know. Wow, we have really learned a lot today. And uh, I, I, Yeah, and you know what I love is... It, it, Whatever the gray areas may or may not be, there's this. It's about being mindful. It's about being more thoughtful and being aware that for most people, work is a four-letter word anyway. That you don't need <laughs> right. anything on top of it. Right. And it's and it's a matter of not making your coworker feel uncomfortable. So right. you know, and and we've all had those coworkers who don't share our necessarily share our sense of humor. <laughs> And so and that's you why don't I stopped working at the Arsenio Hall show. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I know. So I mean, that thank must God, have been a wild God place. Alec and I have a good sense of humor together. <laughs> oh my goodness, um, I can't thank you enough for everything, Liz. If people want to get the uh, presentation brought to their office or come to your office for it, how do they contact you? Well, so our office is in Southampton Village of Southampton, uh, and uh, so my phone number, 631-574-4545, that's another office phone number, but that will get to me, so. Okay, great, because obviously it's now a requirement in New York State, and there's a lot of small employers out here and employees who need this training, and, uh, and I know that our eyes were certainly opened. Absolutely. And... Uh, we're just so excited that you came on today. It's yeah, been a great really conversation. Thank you. Elucidating conversation. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. And I have to say the two of you were among the most entertaining trainees I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen us in high school. That's it. In, in the back row passing notes. Uh, you're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolo. And we're coming to you from Estia's Little Kitchen on the Bridge Sag Turnpike, serving breakfast and lunch every and, day except and a Tuesday. And delicious price fix. Dinner. Yeah, well, dinner on Friday and Saturday with a pre a prefix or a price fix, however you'd like to say it, from 530 to 615. It's delicious, and I recommend right. skedaddling over as soon as possible. And we're here with our producer, Kyle Lynch, coming to you Thank on 88.3 WPPV. FM, Long Island's only NPR station. Please donate. You can always do that on the website, which is www.883wppb.org. And Alec, would you like to take us out? Everybody, be well and stay well this week.
Until it happens to you, you are.